beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. How old are you in your mind? Or rather, what age were you that you felt like was truly your core self, your most you? You know how they say that there's an age that some of us get stuck You know, maybe it's age four, age 10, age 16, 21, feels like it's always young ages like that. And whether we're stuck there because of some kind of trauma and our development halted at that age, or definitely, you know, there was a a fork in the road that forced a lot of change upon us. And so we get stuck in that space. Maybe that was the age where we peaked, that we feel like was really the pinnacle of our life or who we are. Maybe it's just that was the age that you felt was the truest you for whatever reason, the purest version of you, maybe, before all the things that happened after that changed a lot of stuff. And if you could go back to that age, you would. I think there's a lot of different ways that we can think about what age we are in our mind and in our spirit, whether for hard reasons or maybe for just beautiful reasons. Like that's when we felt like we were our best. You know, I don't know that I have personally a set answer for this because I can definitely feel like I had a real moment around age 10 
and then again at age 16, and then for sure when I was 22. But that young adult version, that 22-year-old version of myself, I feel like that's maybe when I really grew up. I really showed my strength. I don't know that it's what we're talking about here as like, what is the age I am inside of me, in my heart? When I really think about it like that, it's sometime in childhood. It's maybe sometime between ages 8 and 16, I guess, before life and maturity and heartbreak and the real world, I guess. And for me, this is probably because I grew up in a really small town, in a tight-knit community, fully in that bubble. You know, I didn't fly on an airplane until I was 13 years old. So that first decade plus of my life was really quite a bubble of family and school and church and camp. It was a wonderful childhood and it was pretty simple in a lot of ways. And so when I try to answer this big question, like what age is the corest, truest version of me, I think I go back to that place. I go back to childhood. And as it happens, I am in my childhood hometown this week. I'm in Oklahoma all week. I have three different events here. I hope I get to see you at one of them. And whenever I come back to Oklahoma, which the spaces get farther and further apart, when I first moved to California, you know, again at 22, I came back to Oklahoma to see my family because my whole family is still there. I came back every few months and it probably ended up being three or four times a year. And now the way my life looks like now with two little kids and a career and all of those things in my 40s, I make it back once a year, if that. And so the nostalgia, the sentimentality of all of it gets stronger and stronger because I'm not here as much, but it also changes shape a little bit because I'm in my 40s. And how you think about the younger version of you, the earliest parts of your life, they change shape a little bit. That story changes as we age. And I am surprised by that. Honestly, as a writer and as a journaler, I have had, you know, what I would call maybe like a pretty set narrative about my younger years and my family and my anxiety and my dreams to be a writer and my friendships and all of these things have been like the same movie in my head, you know, for a very long time that I could always return to and watch metaphorically because it always had the same through line. And the older I get, or maybe the older my kids get, that's got to impact this a little bit. The more I think back on that time, maybe a little differently, I see it through a different lens. I, you know, can put it in a historical context, the further we get away from it and what it was like to live in the 80s, in the oil boom, in Oklahoma. I can also look a little bit differently upon the benefits of small town life or what I felt denied in a small town life. These things change over time, whether you view them as a positive or a negative or a neutral. This has been a surprise of aging that you would feel differently about your distant past. 
But I know enough now to not get too attached to how I think about it at this very second, because in 10 years, I might have changed my mind on how it all looked, how it all felt again, which is why we're talking today about our childhood and how it has made us who we are. So this is like the biggest trope in therapy, in coming of age, novels and movies and songs. Returning to one's childhood to see who we really are is, you know, not an original thought. But how often do we do it? Because like I said, if you have done a certain amount of inner work or just thought about it or just told stories over time, you feel like you, you know, you have kind of a grip on it. Like you understand what it was for better or worse. You've packaged it up into a box that we will call the past. And then we don't always return to it because, you know, we know the punchline. We know the moral of the story, all of those things. And I have a tendency, again, as a writer, as a verbal processor, to tell a lot of my stories over and over again to the point that I don't even feel them when I tell them. So when I'm getting to know someone and I'm sharing something about the way I grew up or my young adulthood or here on the show or when I'm writing, any time that I bring out some of these old stories and narratives about the early part of my life, I don't really feel it when I say it. Sometimes if you even say something like, shocking about your past, but you've talked it to death, you've thought about it to death, you're sort of numb to it. This is a thing that happens. And I wanted to, in thinking about going back to Oklahoma this month and thinking about a lot of the friends that I write about in the Life Council are from the first few decades of my life. In thinking about all of those things, I wanted to sort of look at my childhood and some aspects of it with maybe not fresh eyes, because that feels a little impossible, but maybe really try to feel it again for the first time in a while and not sort of just dismiss it or think I know the answer to what some of these questions or journal prompts might be. So I'm inviting you along to do the same. Think about four aspects of your childhood and really think about them. Maybe take it to your journal, maybe have a really great conversation with someone else where you can kind of swap stories and maybe think about it from a slightly different perspective from the age you are right now and see if any of your thoughts are different about this than they might have been before. If anything new has come to light, if anything that you have learned and grown through in the last little while has changed any of this. So today we're going to talk about, in terms of our childhood, we're going to talk about place, people, our bodies, and our dreams. Place, people, our bodies, and our dreams. So let's start with place. Thinking about the place of your childhood, which for many of us might be places. There might be multiple places that really define the first you know, let's say 15, 16 years of our life, because I think after that, after age 16, something kicks in that changes a lot of things. And I really want to focus here on the childhood part. So let's just pick 16 years old. The first 16 years of your life, what place defined it? And 
sit and close your eyes for a minute and try to feel exactly what that place felt like, what it smelled like, what it looked like, how you felt when you walked in the door. So you can think about your home here. That feels like one of the most obvious things to think about. But you might also think about your school, your church, your grandmother's house, your sports team facility. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of options for what major places define these early parts of our childhood because it might not be your home. It might not be something super obvious. Maybe you moved around a lot. Maybe you didn't feel safe at home. And so this isn't something that you necessarily want to explore in this particular exercise. Maybe there's a place that just came to mind that you hadn't thought of in a long time, like the YMCA gym or your best friend's living room or a certain classroom. Think about a place and then think about what made it such a standout. Like, what do you remember most about it? You can just list these things. We don't have to make it into a poem. This is just sort of a memory exercise that I think does sort of trigger something in us to remember who we were back then. And there is that invisible string tied to who we were back then to who we are now, of course, always. So place for me, the first thing that comes to mind is my home, but it is not one house. My family moved around a lot when I was growing up. We sort of bounced between two small towns about 20 miles apart. My dad had a law firm in the smallest of these towns. And for most of my childhood, we lived in that small town, but we commuted over to the bigger town (laughs) for me to go to school. My mom worked in the bigger town. And so there was a long period of years where we had homes in one or both of these small towns and we sort of bounced around. We either commuted or we moved around. We sort of jumped around in a through a series of rent houses during my middle school years while we were in between selling my childhood home in the one small town and buying what would become my parents' now longtime home in the bigger town. In between those two big family homes, we lived in a series of rent houses. And so that period feels a little bit messy to me. And in fact, one of the earliest blog posts that got a lot of eyeballs on it for me, I wouldn't say it went viral. It wasn't quite that number of eyeballs. But when I was early blogging, so in like 2009, one of the first blog posts I ever wrote that did well was called Home is Where the Couch Is. And I wrote about how we had this blue flowered couch and it was the softest most wonderful blue flowered cotton couch. I can just picture it so well. And we moved five or six times in this, you know, period of a few years. And what felt like home to me was that couch. Like wherever the couch was, regardless of the rental house that was around it, wherever that couch was is what I considered home. So that's a thought from those intervening years. But if I was also going to think about the places of my childhood, I will think of my original childhood home, which was out in the just middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, on this beautiful 40 acres of land. We had horses and an old 
useless barn and a long gravel driveway. And then another part of this part of the question, place, that comes to mind to me immediately thinking about my childhood years is not a home or a school or any kind of a structure, although I have those places. I could, you know, write pages and pages about school or friends' houses or my dad's office. That was always sort of a big one for me. I felt really special in his office with this like big fluffy carpet. (laughs) But the other part of place might not be a structure for you. It might be like the actual place. So for me, the community, the town itself, both of these small towns, which have really distinct kind of personalities and feelings. And I can feel what the air feels like, like the actual humidity of Oklahoma, the wind, the heat off the sidewalks. I remember really distinctly what it feels like to be, you know, under Friday night lights at the Friday night football games. I remember and still notice even when I'm there what it feels like to drive down the main drag, the main highway is what it actually was that ran through town and what it felt like to feel part of that place. So this is one of the narratives that have changed for me over the years. I've written so much about how I knew I didn't belong in Oklahoma and that my soul really flew the coop, really, really wanted to live in a city, to be metaphorically, and before I knew this phrase, in the room where it happened. Like I really started to crave wanting to be more of a citizen of the world, if you will. But remember, I hadn't really traveled anywhere until I was 13. And so those feelings of feeling like, oh, I want to see the world. I want to live in a big giant city. Those started when I was a teenager. And then they were fueled even more when I went to college in Oklahoma and studied abroad. So yes, that part of the narrative is real that I wanted to shake up my life when I got a bit older and live somewhere else and explore and travel and all of those things. But sometimes when I write about that part, that part that started when I was maybe 17, like I said, when things started to really change, when your dreams start to change maybe and and solidify, that was a specific moment in time that then played out, right? You know, I did move. I did live in a big city and all of those things. Sometimes I forget that there was a period when I didn't feel that way, when I felt a deep belonging in my community, when I took a lot of pride in living in this small town and what the characterization of that was, because already I was reading a lot of books and I already knew the cliches or stereotypes around small town life. And I liked that that described me. Now, I still take a lot of pride in being where I'm from. You will never find better people. You will never find a better story. It is such an important part of me, but I guess it's not a thing that I talk about as much because it doesn't seem as interesting as the part that wanted to flee. But since what we're talking about today is who we are at our core, sort of spiritually, I do feel like that an enormous part of the truest of me, the truest part of me is in that small town. And a conscious, advanced version of me chose something else. But it was a choice. And I think that choice was made for the highest good for myself. 
But this pure version of me, this childhood version of me, she lives in a small town. She belongs in a small town. And she, me, thrives there because it is the right place for the start of my story. And so these are just a few of my thoughts as I write or journal or talk through the place of my childhood. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and, yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. Okay, so next we're going to talk about people, the people of our childhood, of the first 15 years of our lives, the most formative people, the people who were there, like all of these things, it's going to be for better or for worse. Maybe these are beautiful memories. Maybe these are tough memories. But when we're going back and like thinking about who we are that started with who we were, Let's talk about who was around us. Is it family members? Is it a teacher or a coach? Is it a best friend? Is there a lot of loneliness there? So in that case, like a lack of people that you want to tap into what that felt like. Was there a lot of chaos around you in terms of people? A lot of 
noisiness or teasing or laughter? Was there a lot of quiet in terms of people in your life? Your home life was silent or whispery or isolated or secretive even. I think for a lot of us, we might have, you know, bits and pieces of answers to all of this in some ways. We might picture something being really rowdy about our school life and maybe something really quiet about our home life or vice versa. But who were these people that were most around us? So for me, in this small town in Oklahoma, I had a mom and a dad. I still do. I had and have a brother and a sister. My sister is the oldest. She is nine years older than me. My brother is seven years older than me. So they are about 18 months apart. And then I came along seven years later. So they were seven and nine when I was born. So by the time I got to be, let's say, 10 years old, you know, when you really start to have very significant memories and and a narrative of your childhood. When I was 10, my sister was already in college and my brother had one foot out the door on his way to college. And so I then spent the rest of my home life years with them out of the house. So in some ways I had the benefit of actually having siblings because I do, but also the benefit of sort of being an only child because I was the only one at home for many, many years. Both my parents were working parents. They were not workaholics. It was quite a different culture than I feel work life maybe looks like now, where people work extremely long hours and often come home and then work some more or in a different way. What I remember about my parents' work life is it was fairly, for the most part, you know, nine to five. I was a latchkey kid after school. I always had a couple of hours after school. Starting in the third grade, I was alone in my home every single school day. But then my parents were not coming home and working some more. We had nice family weekends and holidays and all that family life kind of stuff. They were definitely the primary people in my life as a child. And then Y'all are not going to be surprised at who the other primary people were in my life as a child. It was my friends. Now, maybe this is a personality type. Maybe I was just born (laughs) to be drawn into friendship and care a lot about friendship. But I also think part of it was the circumstance that I just described. Like, I didn't have any siblings at home by the time I was in the fourth grade. And so if I wanted companionship, you know, there was no smartphones, there were no computers. If I wanted companionship, it was going to have to come in the form of friends. And that has just always been such an enormously meaningful part of my life. Now, I changed elementary schools in the third grade. We went from that teeny tiny town to the slightly larger town in the third grade. And then I was pulled out and put in a special program in the fifth grade. So while I was not in a consistent school district. I did three different elementary schools. Because the population of this area was so small, I still knew people in all of the schools. I had friends or family friends, you know, mostly right away. And I don't remember very many instances in my young life where I had to be like the absolute total new girl. Now, it did happen when I made one of those elementary school changes. And then like, again, when I started summer camp or, I mean, of course, everyone has a few instances where they don't know anyone. But I never went through 
seasons where I didn't know anyone. It would have been like a couple of hours that were maybe awkward. This really fed into what I write about in the Life Council of my idea of friendship is that it was easy in my younger life because it was just always there. Proximity equaled relationship because I always had people in my proximity at school, at church, in sports, or rather activities. I wasn't ultra sporty. I was minorly sporty. But I always had people around that I knew. And so this informed how I thought about friendship for a really long time. And when I look back at childhood specifically, I think of some very specific friends, like my, you know, best girlfriends in the third and fourth grade, many of whom I am still very much in touch with. And we share such a very unique history, something that can't be replaced, really. I've had some of them on the podcast. I'll actually link to that in show notes, some of the hometown friends that I have had come on the show and talk about different things over the years, because it's such a, it's such a distinctive thing, the people of your childhood, the friends of your childhood. I was always jealous of friends that had a lot of family, sisters or cousins or whatever, where they were like an intense family unit, something that you you know could not penetrate no matter what because blood is thicker than water, right? Never had anything like that. And so for me, friends were like my second family. It has always been true for me. And it was a you know big part of my childhood. There are other people that I think about in my childhood. I had certain teachers, certain family friends, a longtime very beloved babysitter that just exuded kindness. And I think actually like she imprinted upon my soul very specific type of kindness that I only got from this one other adult in my life. And that really mattered. It matters in the big picture. It mattered in the short term then. I was anxious and quirky and a little bit weird. And she was so kind and nurturing and gentle and loving. And that made, you know, a huge impression on my childhood self. So that is the second part of this is looking at the people around us. And not just naming them as I just sort of rattled off different people, but really sitting with your feelings for a minute and remembering like how this person made you feel, what you remember about this person, who were the dominant people in your childhood. And then think about if you were going to describe this to someone. So if you're using these prompts in conversation with a friend or a spouse, maybe telling your kids, like here is who was really important to my childhood. I mean, as I'm talking this through, I'm realizing, you know, I don't think I've ever even told my kids about that beloved babysitter. Like, I don't even think they would know her name if I said it. And it's making me want to go tell them right now, like, hey, did you know that when I was your age, I had this really important adult in my life? And just by telling them that story or telling them about her, lets them see a little bit of a different piece of me which is always true. And maybe some of these stories are hard. Maybe you don't want everyone to know these pieces of you. Maybe they're more appropriate for your journal. But if you're talking to a spouse or a friend or someone who like, wow, they just wouldn't know that about you. Isn't this an amazing prompt? Like who were the prominent people of your childhood? So we've done place, we've done people. Now we're going to do our bodies. And don't be scared. I feel like every time we talk about bodies on this show, maybe I'm the only one (laughs) that gets scared. It is such a vulnerable thing to speak about publicly, but we're not going to talk about anything shameful here, although I do recognize that that 
might be inevitable for some of us if there are things that happened to our bodies or are part of our body story from childhood. This either might be a section of these prompts that you want to skip or just be very tender with yourself as you're thinking through them. But what I mean about bringing up our childhood bodies is because here we are aging, all of us aging every single day. But I have been struck, especially recently, when in my own body and in some health stuff, I have hit some limitations. It is very natural (laughs) to hit some limitations as you age. And still, it is a surprise. And I have been feeling a little bit nostalgic for my childhood abilities that did not have any limitations. Of course, we take things for granted that we've never had to think of. And when you are six years old and you're running and skipping and jumping rope, y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind. And I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots. And I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over 5,000 distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook, as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. And jumping on the trampoline and doing all the things that you do when you're a child, you don't know that you're taking it for granted because you don't know any different, of course. And then you hit certain ages. This is certainly not the first age that I'm in right now that I have had this thought, but it continues to be a thought to picture my youngest, most carefree, most limber self and remember those abilities. Remember what it felt like to be so free? Remember what it felt like to cartwheel at recess or skip or do the potato sack race at the carnival thing? I just think of that and think, wow, wasn't it amazing that this body could do that and did? You know, I see it in my own children as they run and play and do sports and dance and all the things. And I think, gosh, it's just beautiful. And not only is it beautiful and healthy and sentimental and all of those things, but it goes back to the core of what this episode is about, which is tapping into what we felt like when we were kids. And part of that for me was my physical body, what it felt like to be in that childhood body that didn't have all the insecurities that came later, that wasn't conscious of like image or style or body type or all the other stuff that gets heaped upon our physical bodies, not only from culture, but also just from health and aging, like I'm saying. And remembering where I started, which was fortunately and very luckily in this healthy childhood body that could take off running at a moment's notice, that could do backbends and all the things that, you know, kids do. You know, I already started to lament 
parts of my body type as I got older, got into teenagerdom. First, of course, there were insecurities that come with the world, but there was also weakness. So my natural body type is not muscly, is not strong. And there were things that I wanted to do when I got a little bit older. I played on the tennis team. I was on a dance team where I felt at a disadvantage because I wasn't very strong. Like I was not physically strong. And that sort of kicked off, as often happens with people under all sorts of circumstances, a complicated relationship with what your body can and cannot do. Before all that, though, my childhood spirit and my childhood body felt like that is who I am. And sometimes I still feel like that is who I am. These current aging body limitations that I have, they are natural and also annoying, but they're also like tied again with this invisible string to this other version of me. And wasn't that amazing that we got to be little kids like that? Now, again, I want to circle back to that maybe not everyone feels that way about their childhood body. Maybe there were health issues. Maybe there were insecurities at a very young age. Maybe there was something said or done to you when you are young that affected how you thought about your body then and now. And that might not be a bruise you want to push on in this exercise. So be careful with yourself as you think through what our childhood physicality meant for you and whether that was a positive or a negative. This also might be something that you've never thought about in your life. And I understand that too. What's funny about introspection is that it does bring up things that you've never thought to connect those dots or you've never thought to relate that past version of you to something that's going on with you right now. But it might be related, my friends. And so that is why I like to do prompts and journaling and episodes like this, just to get us thinking, just to help us plant ourselves more in this world by looking inward. Okay, last one. We've done place, people, our bodies. Now we're going to talk about our childhood dreams, what our dreams were when we were young. So as you first start to sort of maybe again, close your eyes and try to go back to that place of eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old you, what they really thought about when they were young, just let your mind wander. It can be as crazy, you know, as your childhood dreams were. Maybe you wanted to be famous. Maybe you wanted to be an astronaut. Maybe you thought it would be super fun to be like a mail carrier or something that you saw regularly and just sort of intrigued you. Let your mind wander for a few minutes, tapping into what your childhood dreams were like. If dreams is too lofty a term, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm thinking, is that like too big? Maybe it was just like what your childhood curiosities were. Maybe you really wanted to follow in a parent's footsteps or another family member's footsteps. Maybe when you were younger, you didn't think like that at all. You didn't have the types of dreams that can easily answer like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up sort of thing. That's all right, too. Try then to just think about what it was like to be that younger self and what she wanted for her future. As with all of these prompts, there may be some pain and vulnerability here. It might bring a smile to your face. It might seem ridiculous. Or maybe you'll feel like, yeah, well guess what? I ended up living my dream. And all of those answers, 
all of those thoughts are keys to your corest and truest self. So when I was a kid, my biggest dream was to be an author. That is why writing these two books have been so meaningful to me. But there's a caveat. I wanted to write like either like Judy Bloom or like Stephen King, two of my favorite authors still to this day. I wanted to either write like realistic, heart-wrenching fiction or like horror, monsters in the sewer. I don't write anything like that. Nothing that I write or even have the capability to write at this moment in my life is even in the realm. I don't mean because Judy Bloom and Stephen King are iconic greats. I mean like from a genre perspective. That is just not where my work has taken me on any level. And yet, that is the chorus truest version of me, that childhood dream that wanted that. And maybe the actual work looks very different, like the actual literal sentences are quite different. But that spark and flame that started when I was very young of loving the written word, that is the through line. That is the thing that has remained. I love the communication of storytelling. I love the communication of connection And I am doing that. It has been a weird and meandering path. And I haven't, through this adulthood path, constantly looked back to my 10-year-old self and wanted to high-five her. We don't think about it consciously like that, really, right? But the thing that I was passionate about when I was a kid, reading at the time, it has stayed my life's biggest passion. And that's not true for everything that I was passionate about when I was young. Of course, we all have different phases. We all try on different identities. That's like a beautiful part of growing up. But the one thing that was the most important has stayed for me the thing. So I don't remember when I was young. I don't remember dreaming of of parenthood or marriage, although I think I did dream of like an actual wedding because I did love dressing up and parties. But I didn't picture family life for myself. As I got older, I knew that I wanted that sort of like factually, but it wasn't part of what we're talking about today, this chorus truest part of myself. That was just me. I only pictured me in adulthood and what I wanted that to feel like and look like. What did you picture for yourself when you were young? And this is sort of a a mind loop, I understand, right? So like we're adults looking back to when we were children, trying to figure out what those children wanted to be as adults. <laughs> this is like quite the loop that we're taking. And this one might be the hardest one to tap into. Like people and place and our bodies, those might be a little bit easier to remember what that was like than what our dreams were. Because they were probably fluid back then. We probably had lots of different ideas about what we wanted or what we thought was cool or what our hobby was, but still letting yourself feel, with your eyes closed maybe, feel what the 10-year-old version of you loved about life, wanted in life, thought was amazing, what they admired, what they studied or read a lot about or wanted to watch movies about or talk to your parents about. What does that reveal about what your life looks like today. Is there a connection or not? And there might not be. 
that doesn't say anything either. It's just a way to tap into this whole thread of our life that you can't separate out bits and pieces the way we sometimes want to. You know, I have seasons in my life, I know we all do, that you sometimes wish you could just cut out with an X-Acto knife and just remove that year, that set of years, and just set it aside and be like, well, that was weird. I took a real detour. That wasn't my real self. I don't want to count that. Those decisions were an anomaly and not representative of the whole of my life. We all have things that we think about in that way, but that's impossible. We can't exacto knife out certain relationships, certain years, certain decisions. So instead, with all the grace and love and compassion for our younger selves that we can muster, looking at this full through line from our childhood chorus truest selves to who we are today, and just taking a high-level view of how close or how far away we are from that little person, would she be surprised by us? Would she be proud of us? Is that version of ourselves or that spiritual connection to that little person, is that something that we never want to think about again after today? We've had to, we're actually fighting, stopping listening to this episode? Or is it something we want more of? We want to remember that little child and who she was and why she was so pure and beautiful and unaware maybe of what the future would hold? And do we want to just tighten that string between that version of ourselves and this one? I hope that this episode gave you something to think about. I hope that it sparked a wonderful conversation in your life with someone else as you exchange younger selves with one another. I am feeling sentimental and introspective this spring. I'm almost always feeling sentimental and introspective, but it feels like there's something in the air. It feels like that there is change and growth and maybe a new season upon us, or maybe that's just what spring feels like. But I hope that this gave you something to think about. Thanks for listening, friends. Now go share something. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening.